Father, we're thankful this morning for the blood of the Lamb, and we're thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus, and uh, Lord, thank you for the privilege to come this morning. What a beautiful morning it is. Thank you for the privilege of being able to gather with your people and sing your praises, and uh, Lord, we want to praise you. Uh, Lord, as we begin this journey this morning through the book of Colossians, we, we want to ask a special blessings upon this study. Uh, Lord, your word is living and active, it's sharp, it it has its effect on our lives, and we want to pray that your Spirit will take this book and, and use it in our lives to help us to look more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you might grant to us a, just a holy hunger for your Word. Lord, may you give us an appetite to be in your Word, to be students of your Word, and Lord, we know you use your Word to change us and to make us more like Jesus, and that's our desire this morning. Lord, as we go through the book of Colossians, we know that Christ will be exalted and uh, we pray that as he is exalted, that your spirit will draw many people to Jesus in faith. And we'll praise you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to start through the book of Colossians. And I'm really excited. Uh, Christ-centered living uh, is the title of this series. And uh, as, a, as a pastor, my, my heartbeat is to make disciples and to help people grow in their faith. And I love to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, growing in your faith, it, the Word of God is so central to that. And uh, some people are intimidated by the Word. And some people have started reading the Scriptures and, and just said, I don't understand it, so they quit. And, uh, but we need the Word. And by preaching through books of the Bible, uh, I, I think we learn how applicable God's Word is for our lives, which is very important. And I think we also learn good ways to read and study the Bible and so we're going to journey through the book of Colossians. I'll invite you to, to open up to Colossians. We'll get the first eight verses this morning. Colossians 1 through 8. I invite you to stand and we'll honor God's word together this morning. As you're standing, let me just uh, let me, let me make a couple announcements out of place this morning. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're having invite you one Sunday. And uh, listen, we got lots of empty spots in here. And uh, we have lots of people that aren't in church this morning, maybe 80% or more aren't in church. And so uh, you can grab a card when you leave, and uh, you can go to a neighbor or a co-worker or someone you know and say, hey, on September the 8th, I'm supposed to bring somebody to church. Uh, will you be my one? And uh, you might have to ask more than one person because some people might not be your one. Uh, but this is something we can all do. And if you don't invite somebody, I'm going to be disappointed. And you might not care. Uh, but if you, if, you, if you disappoint me, then I'm going to let you have it, all right? Everybody can invite somebody. And uh, I, I hope you didn't want me to come here and let you all be comfortable in not inviting people to church. And so now grab your card. you got two weeks. Uh, and I, you might get excited when you see somebody show up that you invited. Yeah, some of you do. Some of you never invited anybody, have you? <laughs> hey, try it. Hey, listen, some people come. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Melissa being here this morning, and, and Alma was here last week, and, and uh, you invite them, often they come. That's an awesome thing. Uh, we just got another week or so, and we'll be starting back our Wednesday night programs. Miss Beth needs a few more volunteers. Uh, please don't let us start our kids' ministry without enough people uh, working with our kids. And then upward evaluations this Saturday. Uh, I, I get excited about upwards because we have a ton of people that come to our campus and uh, we get opportunities to talk to kids about Jesus. And if that don't get you excited, then something's wrong with you. And so uh, be praying for our upward season as it gets ready to kick off. 
And that's probably enough announcements, isn't it? Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You may have your seat, and we'll jump right into Colossians. We know who the author is, uh, Paul. You say, how do you know, preacher? Well, he told us, didn't he? The first word of this book is Paul, and uh, he says, Paul, uh, called to be an apostle uh, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so he tells us uh, that he is... Uh, the author, and uh, he's an apostle. He's not one of the original 12 apostles, uh, but he is one who was specifically called by Jesus. Uh, you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. He's on the road to Damascus to go persecute the, the believers, and uh, Jesus shows up and shines a bright light and blinds him and, and converts him. And uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, uh, the Lord says to Ananias, But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine. He's talking about Paul there. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and all the children of Israel. And so God specifically uh, called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, we believe that Paul probably wrote this letter around AD 62. Uh, he's in a Roman prison uh, about a thousand miles away. And uh, he addresses here the saints. Those are the believers and the faithful brothers in or at Colossae. Colossae was in uh, Asia Minor. It's in modern-day Turkey. And uh, one kind of interesting note or unusual note about this is uh, Paul, uh, he, he's never met these people before. Uh, this is not one of the churches that he planted, and more than likely he had never even been to Colossae. Uh, we believe that this church was planted by this guy in verse 7, Epaphras. Uh, Ephesus was converted under Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and then he went to Colossae and shared the gospel, and this church was planted. And so even though Paul didn't plant this church, he, he has this pastoral uh, responsibility. He feels that towards them. And so he writes to them. He's going to instruct them. Uh, apparently, they got off to a really good start as a church, but then these false teachers kind of slid in, and, and they began to disrupt the unity, and they began to uh, bring some confusion to, to the church's theology. And so Paul is going to write this letter to, to encourage the church, and the church always needs some encouragement, and to kind of uh, combat some of the theological errors of the church. Uh, now, Paul doesn't specify what the particular false teachings uh, were, but as we read through the book of Colossians, it, it must be something about the, the, an incorrect view of Christ because Paul is going to repeatedly focus our attention on Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus. I believe that Colossians 
uh, is the most Christ-centered book in all the Bible. And uh, let me just point this out, that Colossians is the shortest of the letters. And uh, now if you get a letter from someone, usually you sit down and read it, don't you? Well, let me encourage you each week just to, to take, it takes about 10 minutes, you can read through the whole book of Colossians. And uh, that would be good homework for you each week, is just to read through this beautiful book. And uh, at the end of our time studying it, we, we will be familiar and we will be edified by this awesome book. So, first couple of verses, what we see is the greetings from Paul. The greetings. He, he uh, says, Paul and uh, Timothy are brother. Uh, they are the writers. It, some believe that Timothy was probably more of the secretary. He, uh, Paul often uses the personal pronoun I. And so, Paul's writing. Timothy maybe is recording. And uh, let me point out that Paul understood something about partnership and, and mentoring in, in ministry. Uh, you know, Paul and Timothy, they didn't have a lot in common. Uh, Paul was older and wiser and more cultured and more skilled, and, uh, and yet he takes Timothy alongside him and makes an investment in him. He, he calls him Timothy, my our brother. And you see, Paul had this view of the church as family, and, and it, as a family, we, uh, family breaks down barriers, and we don't look at uh, age and culture and race and all those things and allow them to be barriers. We, we see each other as brothers and sisters. And, and so Paul says, in Christ. And uh, Paul greets the church. He, he says to the saints and faithful brothers. You know, we're saints. We don't feel like saints, do we? Uh, we're saints in Christ. That, that word saints means set apart. We're set apart unto Christ. We're set apart as holy. And we're made saints by virtue of our position in Christ. And so to the saints in Christ uh, at Colossae. It's the same preposition there. They're in Christ. They're at Colossae. Uh, this morning we're in Christ in Burlington. Or we're in Christ in Boone County. Uh, and we're called to live out our position in Christ in the context of wherever we may be. Wherever God plants us, we are in Christ. We're to live that out. And then part of Paul's greeting here is grace to you and peace from God our Father. He, he doesn't say, howdy church, or greetings church. He says grace and peace. And so let me just point out those two words. We know what grace is. Therese, it's God's unmerited favor towards us. Uh, man, I love to talk about grace. I love to preach about grace. I love to sing about grace. I enjoy grace. We, we come into Christ by grace. And then he mentions peace. That word is shalom. And uh, listen, grace precedes peace. We could say that grace is the provision for the Christian life. And, and peace is the enjoyment of that provision. When we receive grace, then we are made at peace with God, and we also have the means to live at peace with, with others. Only God can give that kind of grace and peace. And so that's his greetings to the church, grace and peace. And then we notice, really, verses 3 through 8, uh, Paul begins with, with thanks. And so we'll call that the gratitude of, of Paul. And uh, I'll just point this out. Verses 3 through 8 in the Greek is just one really long sentence. And so if you're an English teacher, you'd say, well, that's a, a run-on sentence. Well, it wasn't to Paul. He, he's got a lot to say in this sentence, and he begins it with, uh, with a, a note of, of thanksgiving. I, uh, I was reminded of a, two, these two men were trying to 
make a shortcut through a field one day, and as they're going through the field, they notice this enraged bull coming their way, and they immediately began to run for the fence, and as they got closer to the fence, they realized that they weren't going to make it. And one of the men said to the other one, John, throw up a prayer for us. And John said, I, I can't. I've never made a public prayer. And the other guy said, you got to. We, we need prayer. And he says, well, the only prayer I remember is the one that my father taught me uh, when, before we ate. And that prayer is, uh, Father, for what we're about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> and so Paul begins with thanksgiving. Uh, sometimes I have to try these jokes out on the first service because <laughs> you come back the next service that's that joke's gonna be better uh, Paul was thankful for three things in particular first of all he's thankful for the church he is thankful for that local church there at Colossae he, he says uh, in verse 3 we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Uh, now, so Paul, he's got some things on his mind. He wants to deal with some theological issues here. But the first thing, he begins by expressing thankfulness to God for the church. He, he says, we, and Timothy and, and the others that were there, we thank God for you when we pray. And that's a reminder that really thanksgiving should be a part of all of our prayers. We, we all have things to be thankful for, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And so Paul says we always give thanks. Well, Paul's in prison, and yet he always gives thanks. And, and we, we, we don't always give thanks, do we? And, uh, you, you know, often we focus on the negative things, especially in regards to the church, and we have these Debbie Downers and grouchy Gregs and party poopers and they're always looking for bad stuff and listen not picking on you Greg I just it, it, <laughs> it just it just uh, if you're looking for something bad in the church you'll find it but we don't have to we can be thankful and Paul was thankful for the church and, and he doesn't give thanks to the church he gives thanks to the, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ because guess what it's his church and uh, he founded the church he's the, the chief shepherd of the church he's the senior pastor he's, it's his church and so Paul gives thanks and, uh, and again Paul never he's never visited this church at Colossae but he'd heard about their faith and their hope and their love and, and he's thankful for those Christian virtues he, he mentions those three things and and we find faith, hope, and love often linked together in the scriptures. And so let me just consider them quickly. Uh, first of all, he's thankful for the church's faith. Uh, and that's the starting point of our Christian life. And uh, Paul says, we have heard of your faith. Now, Paul's a thousand miles away. Isn't that an awesome testimony for uh, you to hear about a church's faith a thousand miles away? And notice he says, your faith in Christ Jesus. Something I've noticed in recent years is a lot of talk about faith, but it's not faith in Jesus Christ. There are people today who have faith. Uh, they have faith in faith. And they'll say things like, well, I lost my job, or I lost my father. Or, I lost this, but I didn't lose my faith. And you say, well, what faith in what? And they, they'll say, well, just faith. Listen, just faith will not save you. If you want to be saved, you've got to have faith in the right source, and that source is Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, don't trust in faith in itself. Now, that's not the gospel. 
It's specifically faith in Jesus Christ. And faith that the Bible talks about, really, uh, it, it's our mind, our emotions, our will. We, with our minds, we, we understand the, the truths of the gospel. With our heart and our emotions, we, we are convicted of our sin and our, our need of a Savior. And then we exercise our will and, and we commit ourselves to, to Christ. And so faith is a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's, it's putting all of our eggs in His basket. It's leaning completely upon Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for us on the cross. That, that's what biblical faith is. And, and the, the vertical dimension of our faith in Jesus leads to this horizontal element of love. Verse 4, the, the love. We hear about this love that you have for all the saints. Because of what Jesus was doing in their lives, they were able to love all the saints. And this love is not some mushy feeling. It, this is a guape. The, the key uh, characteristic of a, of a guape love is, is this sacrifice, uh, sacrificial nature of love. And uh, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts, what is it? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And so the, the church of Jesus Christ is to be characterized by love, uh, putting our faith into action. Let me say this, true faith always produces love. True faith always produces love. And, and te uh, love is really a test of the genuineness of someone's faith. Do, do you see someone's unconditional love for, for other imperfect followers of Christ? Now listen, it's not always easy to love other believers because we have this sin nature. And we're selfish sometimes and, and we're hard to love. You can shake your head like this. But listen, according to the, to the Scriptures, love is, is the great characteristic and it, it's the greatest commandment uh, of the Christian faith is to love one another. And so, uh, can others see the love of Christ in your life? I hope so. And uh, I mean, let's just consider that for a moment. Do, do others outside the church, uh, do they hear of the love that we have for one another? I I think sometimes they do, but do they ever say, man, Burlington Baptist, man, they're a group of people that love each other. That's the kind of testimony that we ought to have, amen? That's a strong testimony to a, a lost world is there's a group of people who love each other. And so our faith and our love result in, number three, our hope. Verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And because God has laid up this hope for us in heaven, we, we can have full confidence of our faith and we can freely and fearlessly express our love without holding back. Because of the hope that we have, we can uh, be confident in our faith and we can express our love. And now think about this hope for just a minute. It says that God has laid it up for us in heaven. We, uh, it, it's secured in heaven. Uh, this hope is not something, it's not like saying, well, I hope we get some rain today. It is a, an assurance, it is a confident expectation that everything that God says in His Word is true. We have this hope of, of heaven, this hope of eternal life, and, and that makes all the difference. And again, it says that our, our hope is stored up in heaven. It's, it's like God's got a safe, and our hope is put in that safe. It's, it's secure in heaven for us. It, it's a guarantee that our, our salvation is secure. Listen, we can blow it down here, but we'll never lose our salvation because we didn't do anything to earn it to start with. 
Amen? He began a good work in you. He's going to complete it. And so, uh, are you thankful for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, your hope of eternal life? I mean, Jesus is the anchor of our hope. He, listen, is He your hope? That's a good question. Is, is Jesus your hope? Not only was Paul thankful for the church, but, but secondly, he's thankful for the gospel. Uh, picking back up at the end of verse 5. Of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel which, you, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul specifies a few things here about the gospel. First of all, it's the truth of God. The gospel is the truth of God. He, he's saying that our hope is, is based upon the word of truth, which is the gospel. The, the, those are the same things, the word of truth and the gospel. Gospel means good news. The verb form of it means to proclaim the good news or to preach the good news. And so the reason that we share the gospel is because the, it's the word of truth that brings salvation. Secondly, the gospel is for the whole world. This same gospel that came to Colossae and by which they were saved is the same gospel that was spreading around the globe. And, and Paul was always, I mean, he's in jail, but he's getting these reports that the gospel is spreading and churches are being planted, and he's so thankful about that. And listen, church, there's one gospel, amen, and it's for everyone. Uh, I mean, that's why we support nearly 3,700 missionaries through the International Mission Board because we know that we, we, the people need the gospel, and we want the gospel to go all around the globe. And so we give and we pray and we support that work. We want people to hear the gospel. It's the gospel by which we're saved. And uh, listen, the, 2,000 years later, uh, we're still saved by the same gospel that saved the people in Colossae. And so how, how does the gospel work? Well, first, you hear, you understand, you, you hear this good news. And uh, Paul specifies in verse 5 that you You've heard, you've heard this word of truth. How'd they hear about it? Well, somebody had to go and share it with them. Now, when we get to Romans 10, Paul asks some questions in regards to responding to the, to the gospel. He says, how can they believe in someone they've never heard of? Can't, can you? And then he asks the question, how can they hear unless someone goes and preaches? You can't. And so we've got to take the gospel. We've got to go and proclaim the gospel. And so this Ephesus, uh, in verse 7, he, he was believed to be converted under Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and he went back to Colossae and he shared the gospel. Church, that's God's plan for salvation. Uh, we hear and believe. Does it stop there? Should get like this? No, we hear and believe, and then we go and share. We hear and believe, and then we go and share, and, and, uh, and for some reason, we, we hear and believe, and then we get selfish, and we say things like, well, we don't say it out loud, but we, well, I got my ticket punched. No, that's not, the, that's not how it works. We hear and believe, and then we go and share. I mean, you know, people in the church today, they, they get more aggravated when there's not enough activities on the calendar than they do not reaching enough people for Christ. That's, that's not right. I mean, you, I hope you didn't call me to be a events coordinator. You, you called me to be a preacher. And what people need is the gospel. And so when we receive it, then we go and share it. 
And so they hear and they understand and then they receive it. It's, it is possible to hear and even understand the gospel and not, not believe. But the Colossians, they received it. it Paul says, it, uh, we heard of your faith in Christ. That means that you received this message. There are millions of people in our world that's heard the good news of the gospel and they've not received it. Maybe some of you that are here this morning, you've, you've heard the good news that Jesus came and solved our problem of sin and died in our place and he died and he was buried and was raised again. And, but maybe you've never received it personally. Listen, it's, it's not good news if you've not received it personally. I mean, the gospel is the, the power of God to save you, but you've got to receive the gospel. You've got to act upon the gospel. And then Paul is thankful that it's bearing fruit. It's, it's growing. Notice verse 6, which has come to you, and you received it, as indeed the whole world, and it's bearing fruit and growing. The, the gospel is like a seed. When it's, when it's planted, it, it begins to grow. That's, that's the picture. The gospel is alive and growing and spreading and bearing fruit, and it's spreading some more. And Listen, when the gospel is heard and received, lives are changed. I, I know in my life, 30 years ago, I heard the gospel, and it changed my life. It's, it's the power of the gospel. Uh, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's the dynamite, it's the power, it's the dynamite of God. It's the gospel. Uh, and so let me say this. If you're not bearing fruit and you're not growing, it's, it's not because the gospel has lost its power. Uh, man, it's the power of God. The normal outworking of the gospel is, is to save and to bear fruit and to grow and to be spread. That, that's how the gospel is intended to work. And, and so let me ask you do, you, do you see the gospel bearing fruit in your life? And God might want to sound off a few alarms in our lives this morning, but is the gospel bearing fruit? And are you growing in the gospel? Come on, church. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're to be growing in the gospel. And so Paul is thankful for the church. He's thankful for the gospel. And then thirdly, he's thankful for Epaphras. Uh, notice verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Uh, Paul was thankful that Epaphras, when he got saved, uh, he went home and he shared the good news with his friends and his family. And, and he gives us church an example to follow. Uh, Epaphras is, is faith, hope, and love in action. He, he don't just receive it, but he goes and he spreads it. Uh, I mean, the, the good news of the gospel is to be spread, isn't it? How many of y'all from Boone County? Raise your hand if you're from a lot of you. Yeah. You, you want your county to be saved? Somebody does. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Paul didn't just go around and make and share the gospel and make converts. He developed people like Epaphras. And, uh, and so he reminds the church that you first heard this gospel from one of your own. And he calls Epaphras a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Listen, whenever you share the gospel, that same can be said of you. That you become a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 7, don't let me skip over this, uh, this word, just as you learned it. That, that word learned it, that's, that's the, the basis of the word disciple. 
the Great Commission is about going and, and making disciples, not just converts. And so uh, as a church, we have small groups and we, we have uh, groups that you can be in. We have new believers class. We, we want you to, to not just hear and respond to the gospel, but we want you to learn and to grow. And, and then at the end of verse 8, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so apparently Epaphras traveled this 1,000 miles uh, to visit Paul in prison. And he just, he just had to get there and tell Paul about what was going on, that, that, uh, that he had taken the gospel uh, to his home, and the people heard it, and they understood it, and they, they received it, and it was bearing fruit, and, and they were growing, and the, the Holy Spirit was producing love in the body. And I mean, can, can you just kind of read how excited Epaphras must have been when he reached Paul and said, Paul, listen, you gotta, you got to listen to me. Uh, the gospel is changing lives back home. You know, you remember I was in Ephesus and I heard you preach the gospel and, and I got saved and, and you taught me some stuff. And, well, guess what? I took what you taught me and I went home and I shared that good news. And lo and behold, God started changing lives and people back home. And they got saved and, and uh, they began to love each other and the Spirit began to work in their lives and relationships were reconciled. And listen, the gospel is good news. Amen? Hey, listen, don't you share it like it's bad news. Nobody wants no bad news like that. I mean, this is the best good news. This is the best news the world will ever hear. And so we have the greetings from Paul, the gratitude of Paul, and finally we'll end with the grace of God. Paul mentioned grace back in the greeting there in verse 2. And then again in verse 8, uh, uh, verse 6, uh, he says, uh, understood, Understand the grace of God in truth. The message of the gospel is a message of grace. Again, of God's unfavored, unmerited favor. Listen, I'm getting ready to close. Let me just give me your attention for just a couple more minutes. I'm about done. Listen, you cannot earn or merit acceptance before God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You can't be saved by jumping through uh, certain hoops or, or following man-made regulations. The gospel is the good news of grace. Listen, if we got what we deserved, let me just be honest with you. If we got what we deserved, we would die and we would stand before a holy God and we would be condemned in our sin and we would be sent to a fiery hell. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. And we're sinners. We don't want what we deserve. So God gives grace. That's what grace is. It's given us something. Listen, we, we have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he took our sins. He bore our punishment. He died in my place on the cross. He was buried on the third day. He arose again. And he offers to save me. He, that, and we can only come to him through faith. And when we come through faith, we possess what only Jesus deserves, and that's righteousness. That's right standing before God. The only way to be made right with God is through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the gospel of grace is truly good news. And it offers salvation to all who will call upon Jesus. All who will call in repentance and faith upon Jesus can be saved. And so this morning, I'm going to invite some of you to be saved. And that's the, the blessing of being a, a pastor. 
is we get to invite, we get to we get to stand up and tell people the good news, and then we get to invite people to respond. And so, will you stand with me this morning? And and we're going to prepare for an invitation, and the praise team is going to come out and sing. And and I want to I want to I want to ask three questions of the believers in here. Uh, first, are you thankful for your salvation? Are you thankful for your salvation? Number two, it, are is your salvation bearing any fruit? Is your salvation bearing any Are you growing in your faith? And number three, are you sharing it with anybody? Are you sharing that good news with anybody? And if you're here this morning and you're, you're, uh, you've never received the grace of God, you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to be saved. To turn from your sins to stop trusting in anything you may do and put all your eggs in Jesus' basket and say, Jesus, you did everything I need on the cross. I turn from my sins. I believe upon you.